All right. Hello, and welcome to Sewer Signals, a podcast on utility experiences with wastewater surveillance. I'm Anna Marotra, Director of the Wastewater Surveillance Program at the Water Environment Federation, and I'm thrilled to be talking to Dan Garrity today, who is joining us from Southern Nevada. Hey, Dan, it's great to be chatting with you. How are you doing? I'm doing great. Thanks for having me, and hello to everybody listening. Awesome. So Dan is the principal research microbiologist in the water quality research and development division at the Southern Nevada Water Authority. Uh, Dan earned his PhD in civil and environmental engineering from Arizona State University, worked as a consultant at Trussell Technologies in San Diego, and also spent seven years as an assistant and associate professor at the University of Nevada Las Vegas. During his career, Dan has analyzed drinking water and wastewater for a wide range of targets, things including uh, PFAS compounds, nitrosamines, pharmaceuticals, and other endocrine disrupting compounds, and now SARS-CoV-2 RNA. Uh, His past research focused primarily on potable reuse topics, including ozone biofiltration and quantitative microbial risk assessment. So a little bit about Southern Nevada Water Authority. Um, It's a utility comprised of seven local water and wastewater member agencies serving more than 2 million residents in Southern Nevada. SNWA is a wholesale water provider responsible for water treatment and delivery, as well as acquiring and managing long-term water resources for Southern Nevada. SNWA's multidisciplinary R&D team performs leading edge research to provide innovative treatment solutions for the one water industry. Wow, that's a lot. Two, (laughs) Two million people is a lot. Seven member agencies is a lot. And you've, you've obviously looked at a lot of different things in water, but we're going to talk about SARS-CoV-2. So, so let's get into it. So Dan, tell me a little bit about how SNWA got started with its wastewater surveillance program for COVID. So we are a drinking water utility. And so one of the questions that always comes up is why is a drinking water utility doing wastewater surveillance work? Mm-hmm. And so historically we've had this great R&D group. So I actually started as a postdoc here at the Water Authority back in 2008 and did a few stints elsewhere, eventually came back to start up the research microbiology group. And so we've historically worked really closely with the wastewater utilities on a lot of water reuse research, understanding the trace organics that are discharged into the Las Vegas wash and wind up in Lake Mead, we need to understand what challenges are coming down the pipeline on the drinking water side. And so there's that's where that collaboration really starts. Uh-huh. And so fast forward to COVID, when this hit and people realized very quickly that SARS-CoV-2 RNA winds up in stool samples and feces, there's that connection with wastewater. And so as the drinking water utility, we wanted to better understand what the potential uh, issues might be on the drinking water side on public health. And so that's why we originally launched this program. And so pretty early on, we found, and a lot of other people found that the SARS-CoV-2 RNA, the, the virus gets removed very quickly in wastewater treatment plants or it gets inactivated very quickly. And so there was very low risk, if any, on the, in a drinking water context. And so that allowed us, once we had this infrastructure in place to do this kind of research, we were able to focus more on the research component, going 
back upstream and figuring out what this meant for public health. And so what does finding SARS-CoV-2 RNA mean in terms of what's happening in the community? Mm-hmm. And that's launched a multi-year project now that we never thought we'd still be doing this at this point, but it's been a great opportunity to, to make connections in the industry with other researchers, other people like yourself um, working with, with WEF now. And, and so it's been a, a troubling time in some respects because of COVID, but it's also been a great opportunity to do really interesting and helpful research for the community. That's wonderful. Yeah, I, you're so right. I don't think any of us thought that we'd still be talking about um, wastewater surveillance being relevant for COVID specifically, right, in May of 2022. Yeah, when you when you think about it's called COVID-19 and here we are in, in 2022 yeah. still talking about it. So I, I don't think I think people would be lying if you asked them and they said, yeah, you'll still be talking about this 2022. I think people realize it would take a while, but maybe not this long. So that's been one of the more surprising things. For sure. Okay. So talk a little bit about who you're partnering with in this effort. Yeah. So again, being on the drinking water side, we can't do this research without the collaborating wastewater agencies. And so we have partnerships with all the wastewater treatment facilities in town. And and so basically we're getting a snapshot of the entire Southern Nevada community, all of Las Vegas, uh, Boulder City, the the samples that we collect, we're able to look at each of those little sub-communities within Las Vegas to figure out what's going on. So the the wastewater agencies are obviously key. Um, Over time, we've developed a a great collaboration with UNLV. And so Dr. Ed O at UNLV associated with the medical school He's been doing a lot of the sequencing work or all the sequencing work actually for us. And so we'll quantify SARS-CoV-2 in the wastewater. Ed'll tell us which variants are, are, are present in that wastewater. And so with those two pieces of information, it really gives you a lot of um, powerful data to share with, with public health to really understand what's going on. So collaboration with UNLV has been awesome. Mm-hmm. Um, over time, we've also started working more closely with the, the public health officials in town. So the Southern Nevada Health District, we now have weekly meetings with the Nevada State Public Health Lab. We've been doing some work with UNLU, University of Nevada, Reno. So they're doing wastewater surveillance up in the north. We're doing it in the south. So we can basically get a, a good picture of what's happening throughout the state. We've worked uh, with the governor's office now, trying to provide them with data so that they can make more informed decisions about what's happening related to COVID. And then I think one of the best outcomes from this research has been all the the collaborations with other academic institutions. And so early on, people were scrambling to try to figure out what's the best way to do wastewater surveillance, particularly for SARS-CoV-2. And so we worked with a number of universities throughout the country to brainstorm basically and figure out how to do this effectively. Oh, that's awesome. Wow. So you have partners really kind of at all levels of government within your state. And then, as you mentioned, kind of outside the state with other academics. And you also mentioned that obviously you're working with your wastewater agencies. So, and that, you know, combined your samples cover Boulder City, Las Vegas, you know, big swath of the population. So kind of dig in and talk a little bit more about the details about where the samples are collected. Are you collecting them at the influent to the water resource recovery facilities? Are you collecting them out in the, in the collection system? Talk about that. And how frequently are you taking samples? Sure. So like I mentioned, we've been collaborating with the wastewater agencies for a while. In particular, 
Clark County Water Reclamation District is the largest wastewater entity in town. And so we always have a variety of research projects going on with them. And so when SARS-CoV-2 was found in, in feces, Katarina is the research microbiologist that works with me. We were just talking. We're like, we wonder if we can find this in local wastewater. And so we had been working with Clark County at the time. And so we reached out to them and asked if it was okay to take some samples and start looking at it. And then one thing led to another. Uh, Clark County became city of Henderson and city of Henderson became city of Las Vegas. And it just kept growing and growing. And so now we are collecting samples from all the major treatment facilities. Um, so we have it varies from week to week, depending on which little side projects we want to do and, and other things we want to look at. But we generally have at least seven samples okay. per week that gives us an idea of what's happening throughout the community. We go out every Monday morning at the same time. Um, I've lost track of how many times we have done this. So it's basically been every single week since early March 2020. Wow. Um, and one of the things that we've tried to do, which has been a struggle is try to keep as much the same as possible because anytime you change something it adds another variable to the mix and so if you see a spike that particular week is it a real spike or is it some artifact of some method change that you did right. and so by keeping things the same it makes it easier so every monday same time um, we collect samples from each of those facilities in town Mostly it's influent samples. So we have composite influent from a few facilities. We have grab influent from one of our smaller facilities that doesn't have an auto sampler. At the largest treatment plant, we take primary effluent. And that's just an artifact of that's where we started. And so again, we wanted to keep everything the same. And so if I had to do it all over again, we'd probably change a few things, but we kept that the same. So we're doing primary effluent at, at, at Clark County influent at all the others and a combination of composite grab just on based on practical aspects of the yeah. sampling and what's possible. That makes sense. So you're kind of locked into those, those points of sampling for now and those sampling methods for now. Wow. Every Monday morning. So that makes it hard to, to take off a week here or there. Um, yeah. For your it team. makes it basically impossible because you've got that Monday sitting right there that you always <laughs> yeah. have to be here. Yeah. And so it is your team, which is essentially you and um, Katarina taking the samples. Is that correct? Yep. So some of the facilities will will run their auto samplers and collect the sample for us. And Katarina will go pick those up. And then at other facilities, I actually go out and run the auto sampler myself and collect those samples and then bring them back to the lab. And then that's where Katarina takes over. So okay. I, none of this would be possible without Katarina. So she does all the, the sample processing, all the analyses, all the way through QPCR, sends me the Excel file, and then we work together to figure out what it all means. Yeah. So, so you're generating data then once a week, um, and you're looking at the Excel file and then you're sharing it back out with the wastewater agencies, with some of your health departments. Like how does that whole data sharing process go? Yeah. So it's evolved over time. So one of the challenging aspects of this is trying to put it in a format that people will understand. And that's been a work in progress from day one. So trying to make it better over time so that people can look at the data and understand what it means. And so another thing that I would have changed if I had known how long this was gonna go on for is the way that we provide the data to everybody. And so over time, it's just basically become an extra email that goes out to different people mm. each week. So there's an email that would, uh, at the start would just go off internally within SWA, here's, what, here's what's happening this week, here's how things are changing. 
And then it would go out to the wastewater agencies in a separate email. And then the public health people came on board. So then I'd send an email to them, and then the governor's office. And so each week there was another email. So I'm probably up to seven or eight emails every Tuesday afternoon um, with different types of information, depending on who the reader is going to be so that they understand what's happening. Oh, wow. So what are you actually plotting or summarizing in that email? Is it normalized concentrations? Is it trends? I mean, what, what, what information do you highlight out of your data each week? So everybody, I think, likes to see data in, in different formats. And so mm-hmm. the, the, the report that I put together has basically everything. So it's got a figure showing the observed concentrations versus new cases by day. And then we've developed a model to try to estimate what should the wastewater concentration be based off of the case data that's been reported. Mm -hmm. And so we can track that over time, see how those are changing relative to each other to get an idea of how clinical testing is capturing infections. And so if we start to see deviations between the observed data and the model data, then that might be an indication that clinical testing has changed. Maybe we're not capturing as many infections as we were in the past. And so that gives us a little bit of information there. Then we also have a table. So we just uh, summarize all the concentrations at each facility just in a a table format. Mm -hmm. Some people might like that. Um, And then we have several other other figures showing just case data by itself in each sewer shed, how that's changing. And so a whole variety of plots and tables. Uh, And then hopefully somewhere in there, everybody's finding a a useful piece of information for Mm -hmm. them. Yeah, you're so right. We all we all hone in on different types of information and um, different pieces of information. So that's interesting that you're looking at sort of expected wastewater concentrations relative to reported cases. I'm I'm suspecting that that relationship is sort of disintegrating over time because of increased use of rapid antigen tests that and those results don't necessarily get reported to um, local health departments and become part of the official COVID incidence data, right? Have you seen that kind of, that relationship between wastewater concentrations and case data change over time? Yeah, I think the first time we really noticed it was Delta, where we started to see spikes in concentration, but the case data didn't increase to the same level that we would have expected based off of, let's say, the the alpha period. Mm -hmm. And so there was definitely a discrepancy in there. And then we would start reaching out to people like, hey, are you seeing the same thing in your data? So that was the first time we noticed it. Surprisingly, like you mentioned with the at-home testing, which is very abundant now, a lot of people have it. A lot of people are using that as opposed to going off to a a site to get the the PCR tests. I would have expected that discrepancy to grow even more. But when I was looking at the data just yesterday, it seems like the clinical testing is still holding up, at least relative to Delta. So it's still lower than what we had seen during the earliest phases of the pandemic. But if you go back to the Delta period, what we're seeing now is is pretty similar. And so the clinical testing, surprisingly, is still doing a decent job of capturing what's happening in the community, at least based off of what we're seeing in the wastewater. Oh, that's, that's interesting. Good to know. Okay, let's talk about money. How is all of this funded? Well, one of the great um, aspects of working for the Water Authority is the, the, the funding that's provided to the research group. And so a majority of the testing that we've done since March 2020 has been internally funded by SNWA. But then working with Ed, um, Ed O at UNLV, we were able to tap into some CDC and, and Southern Nevada Health District funding. And so that has been providing funding for our project over the, the last few months. And so that's helped out quite a bit to try to justify 
what we've been doing um, here at the Water Authority. And so it's been a combination of internal funding and now external funding that has been able to, to let us do this for so long now. Oh, that's great. Okay. And then what about beyond COVID um, and targets other than SARS-CoV-2? Um, I know that obviously you measured a lot of different things in water and wastewater, right? So you were already doing that. And I'm sure you'll continue to do that. But in terms of your wastewater surveillance program to inform public health action specifically, are there other targets that you're already thinking about besides SARS-CoV-2? Sure. So my background in research has focused on potable reuse for a while now. So um, at UNLV and then back at Trussell Technologies, doing a lot of work on the potable reuse side. One of the, the main things we want to look at is what have we learned from SARS-CoV-2 that we can put into the potable reuse context? So we now know that there's a really strong correlation between infections in the community versus what we see with SARS-CoV-2 in wastewater. Theoretically, we should see the same thing with norovirus or adenovirus or enterovirus, mm -hmm. Giardia, crypto, all these things. And, and so is there a better way for us to understand what's going to be coming into wastewater treatment plants in a potable reuse system so that they can better respond to that, make sure that they're adequately protecting public health in that context? So that's, that's one aspect. Um, here at the Water Authority, historically, the R&D group has focused on trace organics, pharmaceuticals, endocrine disrupting compounds, now PFAS. And so another great thing about working here is that we can tap into that expertise as well. And so just recently, a few weeks ago, we expanded our COVID monitoring to include trace organics, illicit drugs, metabolites, so that we can understand those compounds and how those are changing over time and in different parts of Las Vegas. And so every two weeks going forward, we're going to include that data now uh, to get an idea of how that varies across Southern Nevada. Wow, that's great. So same samples, but obviously a very different method for those sorts of compounds, uh, trace organics and pharmaceuticals, illicit drugs, that kind of thing. Yep. And then completely different interpretations. So all the struggles that we went through with interpreting what SARS-CoV-2 was telling us, we're going to go through the same thing. But fortunately, there's a lot of literature out there that has been done throughout the world looking at, let's say, illicit drugs and metabolites, for example. So when we see the actual parent compound, or let's say heroin or, or cocaine, um, that literature is going to tell us, okay, you should also see these metabolites. And if you look at ratios, it's going to give you an idea um, where these things are coming from. Is it coming from a hospital, for example, or is it coming from uh, illicit use of those compounds? And so we'll be able to tease apart all that information over time once we develop this larger data set. Oh, okay. And so those data will go out to the same same Tuesday afternoon email recipients that are getting yeah, I'm, the... I'm sure there will be a few new recipients as uh -huh. well. Maybe some more emails. We'll figure it out. So <laughs> it'll be a, a work in progress. It, it's uh, We're fortunate to be able to do all this work on all these different targets. Well, I mean, it's just a huge amount of information for public health use. Um, so it, it, listening to you talk, I would say that perhaps the one thing that really describes your program is adaptive. You really have adapted it and evolved it over time. Looking back on the last two years, what would you say, you know, has been one of your biggest challenges that maybe would have been helpful to be able to anticipate way back in March, 2020? Uh, oh, a bunch of different things I would say. So so like I said, trace organics have been the, the bread and butter of SMWA's R&D group for a while. Research microbiology is brand new. So I started here to start up the research microbiology lab to build the lab essentially in June 2019. So this is just a few months before COVID hits. So 
And Katerina, unfortunately, came over right around the same time that I did. So we're trying to start up this lab. COVID hits. We start this project. We had no idea it was going to be going on this this long. And so that has been a shock, trying to do all the lab construction stuff. We didn't even have a QPCR instrument. We barely had an autoclave set up. Fortunately, we got that all in place right at the right time. But that's been a challenge, is just to get the lab going, make sure we get all this data for SARS-CoV-2 out to the right people in as quick a time frame as possible. Um, but I would also say that I might not have submitted so many other proposals during this time, because <laughs> now we have all these other responsibilities for these, uh, we'll call them normal research projects that yeah. are starting to pile up. And so it's just been a, a struggle to try to stay afloat during all this time. Yeah. time with all these things going on simultaneously. Yeah, so ha- having sort of the the breathing room to focus just on the SARS-CoV-2 would have been nice, but yeah, how could you have anticipated that, right? All right, so um y- you've got a lot going on. So if if folks want to learn more about your program, are there articles they should read? Is there some place they can go online to find out more information? Yeah, we've done a, a quite a few interviews now with the media. So look up Las Vegas, wastewater surveillance, sewage surveillance, you'll probably find a bunch of those. Fortunately, Ed has been doing a lot of those recently, so I haven't had to do quite as many. So um, media interviews has been one way of getting the word out. Um, Here at SNWA, uh, I'll say another great thing about working here is that we have a public relations group, public information officers that work with us. They put together a podcast. So we actually have two podcasts now. It's called SNWA Water Smarts Podcast. So there's two on wastewater surveillance, a bunch of other ones on conservation, the water situation in Southern Nevada, a lot of interesting information out there. So that's another way. And then Ed has been hosting um, empower.unlv.edu is his website where he posts the data updates it each week so that the public can go there and see what's changing in the wastewater and in the, the case data simultaneously. Okay. Awesome. I will share all those links in the, in the notes for this episode. And yeah, I'll say I'm, I'm absolutely a fan of the water smarts podcast and I've listened to both of your episodes. So um, I give those a big thumbs up. Thanks uh, for the support. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, all right. One more question for you, not water related, but Southern Nevada related. Um, so I think many of us have an image in our heads of Las Vegas as being just the strip that 4.2 mile long stretch of resort hotels and casinos. And I guess there's a Ferris wheel in there as well. I do realize there's so much more to Las Vegas than the strip, but I'm still curious if you were to take an out of town guest to the strip, where would you take them and why? Oh, that's a good question. It, well, it depends on the person. So everybody has their, their taste and whether they actually would want to be involved in all the, the, the what I'll call chaos on the strip. One of the best parts about Vegas is that you have that just down the road. It's five minutes away. You can, you can be in the middle of all the lights, um, all the, the fun activities going on, but there's also a lot of normal stuff too. So if you want to get into Involved in all the excitement. There's a lot of great shows. Um, all the Cirque du Soleil shows. It's amazing the talent that we have in Vegas in that respect. But I would say what I didn't know even when I moved to Vegas for the first time was all the outdoor activities that are around. I'd say the, the most popular one is Red Rock. And so there's a lot of hiking up in the northwest part of town in the Red Rock area. There's Mount Charleston. It's a 12,000 foot peak that actually has a ski resort in the winter. So 
even in Vegas, you can go to the strip in the winter and then drive 45 minutes and be skiing. People don't know that. Then you have the Colorado River. So you can go fishing. Um, you can go kayaking. You can go just hike along the river. So there's all these outdoor activities that really nobody knows because everybody goes to the same place, which is perfectly fine. Lots of fun activities, but I would say venture off and, and try some of these other things as well. No, those are good words of wisdom. I'll look forward to visiting some of those places for sure. So there you have it, outdoor activities in Southern Nevada and water and wastewater. Um, Like I said, you'll be able to find links to the resources that Dan has mentioned in the notes to this episode. And I just want to say thank you so much, Dan, for talking with me today. I really appreciate you taking the time. Thanks for having me. And thanks for all the great work you're doing also to, to get this ball rolling across the wastewater industry to make sure it keeps going. Oh, thank you.